And so as we abide in Jesus, now that means yielding to Jesus, staying in step with Jesus every day, yielding our lives to Jesus. And as we do that, the Holy Spirit will do the fruit work through us. Would you open your Bible, please, to the Gospel of John, chapter number 15. John, chapter number 15. And I want to talk to you about navigating life's harvest. Uh, The word harvest is an interesting word. We all kind of know what it means. But, uh, you know, originally that word in the English language referred to autumn. What we call autumn, they would call harvest. Uh, I guess that makes sense. Uh, Harvest, at least for us, refers to the time of year when the crops in the field are gathered in. I suppose that's around the autumn time. And you know, for all of Earth's history, farmers would work all year toward the harvest. If they had a good harvest, they would joy and rejoice. If they had a poor harvest, they would mourn. Obviously, a bad harvest means that they would have to struggle and suffer, perhaps for a whole year, and hope that next year's harvest would be better. But aside from perhaps severe weather conditions that could destroy the crops in the field, it's a normal thing to have a a decent harvest anyhow, if not a good harvest. Now that's assuming that the farmer has worked hard for the harvest. If the farmer doesn't do much, then he's got no one to blame but himself, I suppose, if, if he's got a poor harvest. But there's nothing wrong with a good harvest and getting excited about it. There's nothing wrong with joy over a good harvest. I think that's proper. We see it in the Bible. This principle is played out in the Bible repeatedly in terms also of a spiritual harvest as well. And every time that uh, souls are one to Jesus Christ, we rejoice. We support a lot of missionaries and throughout the year all over the world, they're leading souls to Christ and we're keeping track according to their, their newsletters that they send us. Um, We get hundreds of these newsletters every year and we're going through them and looking for what's happening. And we keep a running total of how many people that have made a profession of faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And we find that um, at the end of 2023, we had our best harvest yet. There were over 1,300 people that prayed to receive Christ as Savior through the missionary efforts of these men and women all around the world. That's a wonderful harvest and something to get excited about. Um, But we must work diligently for Jesus to help ensure that there will be a good harvest. Now there is, in the Bible, another kind of harvest. And I'm not sure if you've ever thought about it in these terms. But the Bible teaches that Christians are to bring forth spiritual fruit in their lives. We just read about it here in John chapter 15. That every one of us are to be fruit-bearing. And God is looking to you and is looking to me into our lives to see if we're going to bring forth fruit for his glory. Have you ever thought of yourself as a spiritual harvest field? That's a different way of looking at it, don't you think? A spiritual harvest field. Huh. And yet it's very true. Every born-again man and woman is supposed to 
live a fruitful life for Jesus Christ. And God wants us to be fruitful for his glory, but also so that he can bless us and reward us. Now, the last couple of weeks, we've been talking about fruitful February. And again, I'll say it's some of the easiest fruit that you'll ever bring forth is just come to church. So today's sermon is going to be on this business of the harvest and navigating life's harvest. I hope that this message today will help us all to bear a little more fruit. Before we go further, let's bow for prayer. Our loving, wonderful Heavenly Father, every good gift and every perfect gift comes from you. So that means everything that we rejoice in, everything that we know to be good and pure comes from your good hand. You're so good to us. We thank you and love you and praise you. Teach us how to be good back to you. Teach us how to recognize your good gifts and to live lives that are pleasing. Help us to be fruitful. Father, that should be the desire of everyone here today, is to be able to bear good fruit, good works, things that are going to be pleasing in your sight, things that will benefit others. Our Father, teach us today. Father, we pray that if there be even one here today who has not yet received Jesus Christ as his or her personal Savior, that today would be their wonderful day. They would open their heart. They would repent of sin and invite Jesus to be their Lord and Savior of their lives. And so have thine own way now. In Jesus' name we humbly ask. Amen. Say, have you ever noticed that some people seem to have a strange philosophy in life. What I mean is that they seem to have a do-nothing philosophy. Do you know anyone like that? They're just kind of a do-nothing kind of uh, person. Maybe it's someone at work. Huh? And uh, maybe the boss doesn't see, but you see that this man or woman doesn't do much. I remember when I was uh, a boy in high school, uh, we were half crazy back then. I don't know if we've much improved over the years, but we're definitely crazy in high school. And I remember this one crazy friend of mine was telling me about this other crazy friend of his who had a job at the shopping, uh, sorry, at the grocery store in the bakery department. And he was given a broom and told to, to broom up. And he spent his entire shift, his eight-hour shift, sweeping a two-foot-by-two-foot two section of the floor. And, of course, it was a big joke, and we all laughed, you know. But really, that's pretty sad, isn't it? You know, imagine if you were the employer, if you were the business owner, and you had someone like that on your staff. Well, you would probably want to have some words with them. And if they didn't straighten out and fly right, well, then they're going to fly right out the door, I suppose. But some people seem to have this kind of strange philosophy of doing nothing. And uh, they think they don't need to do anything. They think maybe others will do it all for them. And so they just sit around and do nothing. Well, there's an interesting story that deals with it. It's about a, a crow and a, and a rabbit. Maybe you've heard the story, maybe not. It goes like this. One day a crow was sitting in a high branch of a tree doing nothing. Sitting there all day looking around, doing nothing. A rabbit comes by and looks up and sees the crow 
doing nothing. And the rabbit thought, well, that's interesting. If the crow can sit around and do nothing, then I can sit around and do nothing. And so it did. It sat there at the foot of the tree all day doing nothing, doing nothing, all day. At the end of the day, a fox came and ate the rabbit. Now, the moral of the story is, if you want to sit around and do nothing, you've got to be on top. I don't know if that makes any sense. But if you're not on top, you're on the bottom doing nothing. I can pretty much guarantee you, the devil as a roaring lion walketh about seeking whom he may devour. And he will get you. In life, there's only one person on top, and that's God. God is the only one on top. And uh, if you think you can sit around and do nothing, then maybe you think you're God. Which gets me to thinking, actually, if some teenagers happen to think they're God. They sit around, they do nothing at home, they don't lift a little finger to help mom or dad, they don't take out the trash, they don't even clean their own bedrooms. I wonder if they think they're God. They sit around and do nothing. Now, that's a little bit tongue-in-cheek, I realize that, but I do know something. People that sit around and do nothing, and that's how they live their lives, they're going to get devoured by Satan. That's what he does. He walks about as a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. So never forget that. Now, in reality, not even God sits around all day doing nothing. God is very active every day doing good things. That's who he is. And he asks us to do good things too. We're to do the same as he does. And this is how we become fruitful when we start getting involved. If you're saved, then you need to be bearing fruit for the glory of God, but also for your own benefit as well. Remember something that every one of us, we only got one life. We've only been given this one life. There is no reincarnation, folks. I realize that there are influencers on YouTube who talk about their previous lives. I realize there's people around the world that are either duped or they're duping others. But there is no dying and coming back for a second kick at the can. This is it. We have this one life. That's all we have. So we need to make it count. And how you spend your time is going to determine your life. That's just the way it is. Someone once said that life and time, both life and time can be two of our best teachers. Why is that? Because life teaches us the proper use of time. The older we get, the more we realize how foolish we were when we were young and wasted time and wasted time and wasted time. And life teaches us the proper use of time. And time also teaches us the value of life. Now, time is a funny thing when you think about it. Time is free and yet it's priceless. You can't own time, but you can use it. You can't keep time, but you can spend it. And once you've lost time, you can never get it back. 
Time is one of your most valuable commodities and how you spend your time, the decisions you make in life and how you spend your time will determine what your life is going to be. Therefore, don't waste time looking back on missed opportunities and everything you've lost. Don't waste time doing that. Here's why. Because life was never meant to be lived backwards. Never. Always forwards. That's God's design. Now take a look again, please, in John chapter 15 in your Bible. I hope you have your Bible open. John chapter 15. And our Lord says some amazing words. Verse 1, I am the true vine. Now that is very interesting. That means that if there are other vines, but they're the, not the true vines. I suppose they're the false vines. You get yourself hooked up with a false vine, and you're going to get false fruit, and you're going to have a false, uh, very disappointing ending. Jesus is the true vine. He says, my, hus- my father is the husbandman. That's the farmer or the, uh, the man who, who cares for the vines. Of course, vines, we're talking about grapes, that sort of thing. Every branch in me that beareth not fruit, he taketh away. And every branch that beareth fruit, he purgeth it, that it may bring forth more fruit. That's exactly what vine dressers do today. They've been doing it for thousands of years. They've got their little uh, pinky cutters, whatever, and they, they go through and here's a dead branch and click and off it goes. And here's another one, click. And this thing will never produce any fruit. It's dead and click, off that goes. And it sort of frees things up. It's like having a backdoor revival. You know, get the dead wood out. And then what's left is the fruit bearing. And that's what they do. Maybe some of you have had experience in uh, growing grapes with vines. Well, you'll know all about this. What a wonderful analogy this is. The Lord Jesus is teaching us here in these eight verses that we are to be fruitful. He compares us to a branch that's connected organically to the vine, the true vine. Now, I'll tell you right now, as a Christian man, I want to bear fruit for the Lord. All my life, that's all I've ever wanted to do for the Lord. Ever since I got saved, I've wanted to be able to be useful. I want to bear fruit. I want to serve Him. I want to... To, to live a life that he's going to be happy with. And so in the prayer closet of my home, I took a pencil and I drew a picture on the wall. Now, I know you're not supposed to do this. <laughs> you know, the, it's kind of sacred territory, the walls of our homes. You're not supposed to take crayons and drawing on them and so on. But I took a pencil and I drew a picture. Do you have that picture? Put that up for us, would you please? That's not it. No, 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 no. Where's, the, my, where's my picture? I asked Pastor Deviant, do you have my picture? He says, yes. Anyhow, you go looking for my picture. What I did was, maybe I should draw one here. But I took my pencil and I drew a picture of a vine. And then I drew a branch coming off of the vine. And I labeled the vine Jesus. And I labeled the branch me. And off the branch, I put a nice leaf because, hey, that's part of the territory, right? You know, the, the vine branches, they have leaves. And so I put a leaf there. I wanted a leaf on my branch. But I know that my purpose is not just to provide leaves. My purpose is to provide fruit. 
And so I spent several minutes drawing in these big, luscious-looking grapes on this big cluster of grapes because I, I, that's what I want for my life. I, I want to be fruitful for the Lord. And so I drew this John 15 analogy on the wall of my prayer closet because um, I, I want to bear fruit for the Lord with all my heart is what I want. And so I drew that picture. I guess we don't have that picture. So it, it didn't come through, did it? All right, that's okay. Maybe I drew it in your mind's eye. Maybe you can imagine what it looks like. But that's what I did. Now, in your prayer closet, you don't have to draw on the wall. You could draw on a piece of paper if you want and stick that on the wall. That works too. But I just wanted something that would look at me and face me every time I went in the prayer closet. So I drew that picture. And Jesus really is the vine. Without him, what can the branch do? The branch cannot live by itself. It needs the, the nutrients and the life-giving flow that only the vine can give to the branches. And so Jesus is the vine, and we are those branches. And some of us are longer, and some of us are shorter, but we're branches. And our purpose is to bring forth fruit for the Master. What a wonderful analogy here. And that's what God wants for us. If you remember reading in your Bible back in Genesis, after Adam and Eve got together, they were a pretty hot number, I tell you. When after they got married, they got together, the first thing that God told them, the first commandment that God gave this husband and wife was to be fruitful. Be fruitful and multiply. That was the first commandment. God wanted them to be fruitful. Uh, later on, the Lord spoke to the nation Israel, to the children of Israel about the promised land, the promised land. And he always would say the promised land is a land that flows with, anyone know? Milk and honey. That's fruitful. That's wonderful. You know, that made people excited. Boy, oh boy, that's where I want to live. And I would feel the same way. God is interested in fruit. In Proverbs 11.30, he says, the fruit of the righteous is a tree of life. Now that's spiritual life. Because then he goes on to say, and he that winneth souls is wise. We put that up on a wall of our church over here. He that winneth souls is wise. There's wisdom to trying to help lost people get saved. There's wisdom to helping support missionaries financially and to adopt them and praying for their success every day. There's wisdom to that. There's wisdom to handing out gospel tracts. There's wisdom to inviting people to church. There's wisdom to going into your prayer closet and praying daily for the lost people that are in your life. There's wisdom to all of that. God wants us to be fruitful. In Hebrews chapter 13, verse 15, we're told that our lips can be fruitful. The verse says, By him, therefore, let us offer the sacrifice of praise to God continually. That is the fruit of our lips, giving thanks to his name. Every day, you should be giving thanks to God and praising him for the great things he's done in your life and thanking him for the gifts. And I'll tell you what, Thank him also for the hard times. That's very important. The hard times are some of our best teachers. And as we're going to see, God uses hard times to make us better. So it's very important. God wants us to be fruitful. 
Now, someone might think, well, wait a minute. Does that mean every one of us? Does that mean all the men, all the women, all the teenagers, all the children? Does God want all of us to be fruitful? Please keep your finger there in John 15 and turn to the right to the book of Romans chapter 7. If you get to the Corinthians, you've gone just a bit too far. Romans chapter 7. And I want you to see verse 4. Romans chapter 7, verse 4. If you have that, I'd like to ask you to read it out loud together with me. Romans 7, 4. Let's begin. Wherefore, my brethren, ye also are become dead to the law by the body of Christ, that ye should be married to another, even to him who is raised from the dead, that we should bring forth fruit unto God. If you're saved, whether you're man, woman, teenager, child, if you're saved, you're supposed to be bringing forth fruit. Now, by the way, this verse here teaches us we're no longer under the Mosaic law. There's a popular movement today. They're trying to put Christians back under the Mosaic law. They're trying to put us back under the Ten Commandments. They're trying to put us back under the feasts of Israel and all kinds of things. Nothing wrong with the Ten Commandments. Nothing wrong with the feasts of Israel. Nothing at all. But you see, we're under a new covenant. It's called grace. The old covenant is called law, given through Moses. The new covenant is grace, given through Jesus Christ. And he's mentioned here. Even him who is raised from the dead, that's Jesus. Anyhow, that's not what I'm preaching about today. I'm preaching about these last words, that we should bring forth fruit unto God. Now, you can go back to John chapter 15 now. John the Baptist was a great man of God, and Jesus gave him great accolades and said, there's no one greater born of women than John the Baptist. He was a great man, but what made him great? Well, according to Luke chapter 1, John was great because of the fruit he bore for God. That's what made John great. Otherwise, he was no different from any other believer. And so he was very fruitful for God, and that made him great in the eyes of the Lord. In Luke chapter 1, this is what it says, For he shall be great in the sight of the Lord, and many of the children of Israel shall he turn to the Lord their God. John the Baptist bore a lot of spiritual fruit for God. And that's why he was great. Any born-again Christian, man, woman, young person, any born-again Christian can be great in the eyes of God. All we need to do is just bring forth much fruit. You see, if you look at the end here of, well, look in verse 8. Here is my Father glorified that ye bear teensy tiny bit of fruit. Is that what your Bible says? Yes or no? No. Herein is my Father glorified that ye bear, say it, much fruit. That's it. God is glorified in much. Supposing you had a grapevine in your backyard. And so the time of grapes has come and you go out there ready to reap the harvest and there's this vine and these branches and half of them are dead and the other half are, have one tiny little grape on them. Well, how would you feel about that? Your neighbor's grape vines, you know, are almost, the branches are almost breaking there under the weight of all of these clusters of gorgeous grapes. And then you look at yours. You know, you wouldn't be too satisfied with that, would you? You'd say, man, we've got to do something here. 
God is glorified when our lives bring forth fruit for him. We can't have a a do-nothing attitude. We can't be like that rabbit because the devil as a roaring lion is going to come and knock on our door one day. Now, someone says, well, what if I don't want to bear any fruit? What if if I'm just not interested in bearing fruit? All right, well, that's your decision. The answer is that he may cut you out of the vine and take you home to heaven. You see, it says here, every branch in me, see that in verse 2? Every branch in me that beareth not fruit, say those next three words out loud, he taketh away. Now I'm not saying that if a Christian dies, it's because they're fruitless. I'm not saying that. But I'm saying that God reserves the right. If we refuse to bear fruit for him, if we refuse to let our light shine, we refuse to live for him, he reserves the right to pull our plug and take us home to heaven. Well, you're no more earthly good to me down there. I'll bring you up to heaven where you can't do any harm. Because really, honestly, if we're not bearing fruit for the Lord, well, obviously we're not much good, but we can even cause some damage as well. But if we're fruit bearing, you see, then that's a different story. So what if I don't want to bear fruit? And that's your decision. But God may make a decision for you. Well, you, the next question. Well, what if I only want to bear a little bit of fruit? You know, I don't want to have big, you know, clusters of, of grapes. I just want to have a, a few grapes. Well, I suppose that's your decision too. But you see, uh, if you look at verse 2, every branch that beareth fruit, here's what he's going to do. He purgeth it, that it may bring forth more fruit. So, if you're just wanting to bring forth a little bit of fruit, God will say, okay, I'll work with that. And then he'll do whatever it is he has to do in your life in order to clean you, to purge you, so that you can bring forth more fruit. Now, quickly, I want to answer four more questions that I think will help explain this fruit-bearing business a little bit more. First question is, how is fruit-bearing beneficial? That's a good question. That's a good one to start with here. Well, why should we bear fruit? What's the benefit? What's the payoff? Well, it's beneficial to both God and man. We see here in verse 8, Herein is my Father glorified. It brings great honor and glory to God when you bear fruit, when you bear spiritual fruit. You're bringing glory to God because it encourages people to thank God for you and to worship God because of you. In the Sermon on the Mount, the Lord Jesus said to let your light shine that men may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. It's proper and important for us creatures to glorify the Creator. Nothing wrong with that. It's proper and good. God is not on some kind of ego trip. That's not how it is. There are human beings on ego trips that want people to worship them. But I mean, that's nonsense. They're not the Creator. We have one Creator. There is one God. And He is the Creator. And we owe it all to Him. And we need to praise and thank Him every day and worship Him. And so Jesus made that very plain and clear even to the devil. 
when the devil showed him all the kingdoms of the world and says, I'll give it all to you if you'll just worship me. And Jesus point blank told him, no. He said, thou shalt worship the Lord thy God only. And so it glorifies God. It brings God great honor and glory. You know, when the other neighbors look in and see how incredible your fruit trees are or the crops in your field, that glorifies God. Sorry, let me back up. That brings great honor to you. But when you do spiritual fruit, it glorifies God. And so that's, that's the first benefit. Now the second benefit, leave your finger there again, would you please, in John 15 and turn to the right. We're going to go to the book of Titus. The book of Titus. And you're going to find that right after First and Second Timothy. And there's Titus. After that, you got Philemon and Hebrews and James and so on. Titus in chapter 3. Titus in chapter 3. Okay, you have that? Let's read it in verse 8. Titus chapter 3, verse 8. Let's read now together. This is a faithful saying. And these things I will that thou affirm constantly that they which have believed in God might be careful to maintain good works. These things are good and profitable unto men. Now another way of saying fruit is good works. We've been saved unto good works. Good works do not save us. Good works do not take us home to heaven. Good works do not give us any merit, saving merit in the eyes of God. They do not, they do not. After we're saved through repentance and faith in Jesus Christ, now we can bring forth good works that will glorify God and benefit others. And this is what God has in mind. There's a benefit to others. For example, serving the Lord at your local church. There's jobs that can be done, things you can do. Another way, of course, uh, that our fruit or our good works benefit people is uh, just helping them, helping them in the name of Jesus. My wife gave me um, yesterday a little Facebook article. Apparently, Chilliwack has a, a little uh, Facebook section for Chilliwackians uh, where they can talk about happy things and good things and blessings and whatever. And I don't know how she got this, but she sent it to me. And it says, another heartwarming story of neighborly love. Now, this just happened just a couple days ago. Since moving to Chilliwack 11 years ago, this person writes, only twice has our cul-de-sac ever been cleared as we're not on the city's snow removal list. So, by the way, you know in Chilliwack they get snow, right? They get real, honest to goodness, real genuine snow every winter. Hmm? That's why they call it chili. Whack. Bet you didn't know that, did you? Anyhow, the person writing this article says, so when I heard the sound of a, a grater, a snowplow outside, I headed out. Not a city grater, but a private owner. We both waved and started chatting. Is the city paying you to do this? I asked. He says, no, I live on Windsor Street and wanted to help out my neighbors. And I asked his name. He said it was Robert from Little Einstein Daycare. That's our Robert. 
Amen. That's Robert, who used to attend our church, and he and his wife moved out to Chilliwack. And they're living their life for Jesus. And, you know, do you have that now? Put that picture up now, now. <laughs> there. Can you see that all right? Can you, can you make it out? Dim the lights a bit. That's Robert in the snowplow. Hooray! What's he doing? He's bearing fruit. He's doing things that will benefit others. Now you can put the lights back up and take the picture away. I thought that was really cool. I thought, man, that's great. You know, don't be afraid to do something nice for your neighbors. You know, bake them something, whatever. By the way, do you know your neighbors? A lot of people don't know their neighbors. It's true, isn't it? People live in apartment buildings. For years, they never know who's in the next apartment. All they know is sounds, noises. Oh, they must be the one with the dog. Or the, the music that doesn't shut off or something. But nobody seems to know their neighbors. Get to know your neighbors. Hey, neighbor, been living here all this time and I realized I never even said hello. You know, my bad. Here's a plate of cookies. I'm your next door neighbor. You know, something like that. Get a little bit of fruit going. Get a little bit of good works started in your life. Very important. All right, how do we bear fruit? How do we do it? Well, the truth is, it's the Holy Spirit who does it through us. That's the truth. We can't really do it properly. And so as we abide in Jesus, now that means yielding to Jesus, staying in step with Jesus every day, yielding our lives to Jesus. And as we do that, the Holy Spirit will do the fruit work through us. Now let's go to Galatians. So if uh, you're still in Titus, turn to the left. If you're back to John, turn to the right. We're going to Galatians chapter number 5. Chapter 5. And I think many of you know these verses. They're famous verses. Galatians chapter 5, verses 22 and 23. Galatians chapter 5, 22 and 23. Now if you have that Open. Would you read it out loud with me now? Please, let's go. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance. Against such there is no law. These two verses here list nine different fruit. And it's kind of all one package deal. It's not like you get one of them, but not the other eight, or two of them, but not the other seven. You get them all, yes or no. You have them all, yes or no. How do I get them? It's the fruit of the Spirit. As we abide in Jesus, the Holy Spirit is going to start doing this through us. Now, go back to the analogy of the vine and the branch. The branch doesn't have to worry, how am I going to produce grapes? Because you see, all it has to do is just stay glued into the vine. And now it's the vine that will produce the grapes. And the leaves too, by the way. But if the branch somehow seals itself off from the vine, it's signing its own death warrant. Because it'll shrivel, it'll harden, it'll become crusty, it'll die. We have to abide in Jesus 
And as we do that, then the Holy Spirit starts flowing in our lives and he is the one that naturally produces these things. We'll have new love for our neighbors. You mean that guy with his, yeah, that guy with his, you'll have a new love in your heart. You'll be praying for that guy's salvation. You'll be looking for ways to, hey neighbor, how are you? You know, a good thing to do is to get a pen and paper and when you meet your neighbor, Write the names down. Because you know how quickly you forget names. How many have that problem? Raise your hand. Be honest. Raise your hand. You have trouble remembering names. Yeah, and I'll tell you what happens. It's so embarrassing. You just met them. They just told you their name. You count about five seconds. It's gone. You have to struggle to hang on to that name and then try and use it in conversation. Well, you write it down. Because then as you're praying for them, you're going to remember their name. They'll probably have forgotten your name. But you'll see them and you'll call them by their name. They'll be so impressed and embarrassed that they forgot your name. But they'll feel beholden to you a wee bit. And then when you show up with a plate of cookies or something. You know, something I did for one of my neighbors. Because I knew he forgot my name. And I didn't want to embarrass him. But he he needed a tool that I happened to have. And so in the package, I, I wrote my wife's name and my name in the package, you know, property of, and I put, uh, I think I put Stephen Monica White, something like that. And so I loaned him the tool. When I got the tool back, you know, the following week, he never forgot our names after that. And I did that because I, I love the guy in the Lord and I pray for him, him and his dear wife and children. And... Hopefully, they'll be saved one day. But look for ways, you know. The Holy Spirit will give you the wisdom. And the love and the faith will flow through you. And it won't be you having to do it. It's God doing it through you. It's this exact wonderful analogy here of abiding in the vine. So remember, it's not what we can do. It's what He can do through us. Do you see the difference? Because there's a huge difference. D.L. Moody is one of the world's greatest evangelists. He died in 1899, I think, something like that. And it's estimated he led a million souls to Christ in his lifetime. Incredible fruit. Where did it come from? How'd that happen? Well, back in his early days, he was working hard to serve the Lord, and he was seeing a little bit of fruit. He got on a steamship and went over to England and visited with the great preacher Charles Spurgeon. And they got alone, the two of them, and he was telling Mr. Spurgeon the great things that he was doing for God in Chicago. And Mr. Spurgeon said to him, Mr. Moody, he said, it's not what you can do for God, it's what God can do through you. And that hit Moody like a ton of bricks. It changed his thinking. He went back to America, changed, and he started now to depend more on God. And the fruit started to flow. And that's where this great increase came from in his life. Was after he started to yield more to the Lord. And it's the very same with you and me. We will have nothing but trouble if we try and do it ourselves. We have to stay glued into the vine. Abide in Jesus every day. Not once a week. Every day. And he will start to flow through us. 
Quickly, question number three, how do we maintain this? It's one thing to get started, but can we keep it up for a year or the rest of our life? Here's the answer. You maintain it the same way you got it. You got it by abiding, and that's all you need to do to maintain it. Jesus said, I am the vine, ye are the branches. He that abideth in me and I in him, the same bringeth forth much fruit. For without me, ye can do, what's the word? Nothing. Nothing of any good. Nothing of any value, any lasting eternal benefit. Nothing. So it's got to be Jesus doing it in us and through us. Abiding in Jesus means that he's going to purge us to be clean. That's what it means here. You see when he says, um, every branch, verse 2, every branch that beareth fruit, he purgeth it. It's the idea of cleaning. That's what purging is all about, is cleaning. And through, see, how does that happen? Through the word of God, through the word of God, and through difficulties. Through the word of God and through difficulties. That is how God purges us. That's how we get clean. Please don't despise the Bible because God uses it to clean you. Please don't despise difficult times because God uses those to clean you. Pastor, wait a minute. You mean every time that I get into a big mess and I'm discouraged and I'm upset and I'm fretting, whatever, and things are coming down, I should give thanks to God for that because God's going to use that to clean me? Basically, yeah. You might say, well, wait a minute. There's times when I'm minding my own business and trouble finds me. But then there's times when I mess up. It doesn't matter. God will use both. Trouble is trouble. God will use the sandpaper, whether in the hand of the devil or whether you're trying to, you know, apply it to your own face. God will use the problems in your life to purge you and show you your mistakes and help to clean you and cleanse you. That's what this purging is all about. So the two ways that he does this. Why does he do it? So that the life-giving flow from the vine to the branch can flow much better. Now, any of you who have been saved for a period of years, you know that you're a little more in step with the Lord today than you were when you first got started. Things are going generally, you know, spiritual-wise, better today than they were years ago. You know that by experience. And here's how it happened. I tell you what. In your body, clogged arteries are not good. Clogged arteries restrict the life-giving flow of blood and they need to be cleaned by a doctor, let's say. In your home, clogged plumbing pipes restrict the flow of water and they need to be cleaned, let's say, by a plumber. And in your life, clogged branches restrict the flow of the Holy Spirit and they must be cleaned by Jesus Christ. And he will use his word and he will use difficult times. Take a look, please, at chapter 15 again. Okay? Jesus said in verse 3, Now ye are clean through the word which I have spoken unto you. See, there's the word of God. You need the word of God every day to clean you. This morning, did you have a time of cleaning? 
Did you get alone with God even for just a few minutes? Did you open your Bible and read God's Word and let it flow in you and let it change the way you think and let it heal the hurts and let it strengthen you? Did you spend time with God's Word today? If you didn't, your pipes are probably getting clogged. You need the Lord Jesus to clean out those arteries, clean out those those clogged pipes, and he'll use his word to do it. That's why you would be very wise to spend much time reading the word of God. If you don't know where to start, start in the Gospel of John or start in the book of Psalms. I tell you what, the whole 66 books of the, the Bible, Old and New Testament, it's all good wherever you start. But there's a suggestion, start in Psalms or in John or something, right? Don't start so much in Leviticus you know, or maybe even in Revelation. Leave those for later down the road. But start with something simple. Get the flow going. And of course, hard times, verse 2, every branch that beareth fruit, he purgeth it. That's the hard times. That's the difficulties. That's when things kind of come crashing down on your head. Now we've got to move on quick to question number four. How do we teach this to our children? Don't want our children making the same mistakes we've made. Ephesians chapter 4 teaches parents to bring their children up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. The children need to be taught these things at home. They're not going to learn them out in the street. And they're probably not going to learn them at school. They need to learn it from mom and dad. Have some family devos together. Children need to be taught these truths in the home. But listen, the children also need to see these truths in mom and dad. If mom and dad got clogged arteries, you know, do as I say, not as I do. Remember that old, boy, that that doesn't wash, does it? Imagine mom and dad are smoking away as fast as they can open up the packs of cigarettes. They're smoking away and then they tell their kids, (laughs) don't smoke. It's not not good for you. (laughs) The kid's going to believe them. Don't don't ever tell your kids, do as I say, not as I do. You need to say, son, daughter, watch me. Pattern your life after me. Follow me. I'm following Jesus. You follow me. One day as you grow up, then you'll follow Jesus. But for now, you follow me. I'm following Jesus. Let the children see it in you. It has happened, not in this church, obviously, but it has happened in other churches where... During Sunday morning, everyone is as good as gold. They got halos. But in the car on the way home, they'll start ripping up this person and that person. And on Monday, they're living totally different lives than they did on Sunday. And the kids see it. That's why the kids drop out. That's why they don't want to have anything to do with that religion that their parents are connected with. Because they they call them hypocrites. So it's very important we teach the children that they see it in us. Dedicating children, dedicating babies and so on is a wonderful thing for parents to do. Dedicate them to the Lord. But in dedication, we are promising God that we will raise the children in such a way as one day they'll come to know Christ as Savior. And then they'll be baptized. They'll follow the Lord in waters of baptism. And then they'll become a member of the church, just like the Bible teaches 
But if the parents aren't saved or aren't baptized or aren't members of the church, how can they possibly teach their kid to? So it just breaks down completely. In order to dedicate your children, mom, dad, you first have to be living the life. Does that make sense? It's fairly simple. Now, a mistake. I'm almost done here, but <clears throat> I gotta, I gotta throw this out here. A mistake that some Christians make is waiting until a big opportunity comes along in order to serve the Lord. It's a mistake. Oh, I want something big. I want to do it in a big way. And so they're waiting and waiting and waiting. Meanwhile, they're doing nothing and nothing and nothing. And the truth is, take advantage of little things that you can do. Jump on these little opportunities. Now, there's a story about a man. He was jobless. And so he was desperate. And he went to a big company and he applied for the position of office boy. He had to have something. And the employer interviewed him and seemed to like him and gave him a test. Here's a broom, clean the floor. The man took the broom and he cleaned the floor and he did a good job. The boss came and looked in the corners. Everything was clean. So he sat down. He says, you're hired. He says, give me your email address and we'll send you the necessary paperwork. And the man says, well, I'm sorry, I don't have an email. In fact, I don't even have a computer. And the employer looked at him and said, well, I'm sorry. If you don't have an email, then you don't exist. And people that don't exist can't get jobs. Have a nice day. And the man left dejected. No hope whatsoever. And he walked out on the street and he thought, I'm a failure. What am I going to do? Putting his hands in his pocket, he realized he had a $10 bill in his pocket. And he thought, what can I do with that? And down the street, he saw a super grocery store, supermarket. So he went down to the grocery store and he looked around and he found he could buy a, a box of tomatoes for $10. So he bought the box of tomatoes for $10 and um, he thought, I wonder if I could sell these. And so he, he went door to door selling the tomatoes. <clears throat> In two hours, he sold all his tomatoes. He doubled his money. He had $20. So he thought, oh, I wonder if I could do it again. So he went back to the grocery store and now bought $20 worth of tomatoes and he went out you know, for another couple of hours, and he, he sold those. By the end of the day, he had $60 in his pocket. And it suddenly occurred to him, I might be able to survive doing this. And so that's what he did. Every day, he'd show up at the, the grocery store there, and he'd buy tomatoes, and he'd buy some other things as well, and he'd start going door to door selling these things. Well, he was doubling and sometimes tripling his money every day. And then he decided he, he, he couldn't possibly carry this. He needed to buy a cart. So he bought a cart on wheels and he could load up more the groceries in there and going door to door and he was selling everything. And next thing you know, he bought himself a truck. And he's using the truck and now he's even doing more business. And as time went on, he bought a fleet of trucks and had people working for him. In a couple of years, he, he had one of the largest distribution, food distribution business is going. And he sat back and he thought, wow. But he thought, what if something happened to me? He says, I need some insurance for my wife and children. 
And so he contacted an insurance company and they sent over a broker and came into the man's office and they sat down. They went through all of the different paperwork and glossy brochures and the man picked out a program. He says, that one there, I'll take that. And the broker says, that's a good choice. And he says, all right. He says, what's your email? The man says, well, I don't have an email. And the broker stopped. He put the pen down. He looked at him and he said, you don't have an email. And yet you've built this magnificent empire. Do you realize what you could have been if you had had an email? And the guy said, yeah, an office boy. (laughs) The moral of the story is don't wait for some big opportunity to come by. You were given an opportunity today. You were given a piece of fruit. You were given two pieces of fruit, an orange one and a red one. This is some of the easiest fruit bearing you're ever going to do in your life is put your name on a piece of fruit and we'll hang it up on the tree for you. By signing the fruit, you're telling the Lord, Heavenly Father, Unless I'm providentially hindered, I'll be here for the 11 o'clock service. For the four 11 o'clock services in the month of February. Unless I'm providentially hindered, I'll be here for the four 10 o'clock Bible studies in the month of February. That's all you're saying. You're not saying for the rest of my life. You're saying for the month of February. For the four services in the month of February. I'm telling you, you're not going to find much easier fruit than that. It's God's will, God's desire for you and I to be fruitful. Some of the most fruitful Christians in earth's history began with little opportunities. Now listen, I want to give you a couple of suggestions to help get the fruit flowing. Every day, yield. This is number one. Every day, yield control of your life to Jesus Christ for his honor and glory. That's number one. Number two, always pray for wisdom and courage. You must have it. You need it. Number three, when you meet people, and this is important, when you meet people, be the first one to say hello. Be the first one to say hello. Show yourself friendly. Number four, try to compliment people everywhere you go. Try and compliment them. You see a a man in a suit and you can say, boy, that's a nice tie you've got on. You know, you... uh, ladies can compliment ladies, you know, with their dress or hairdo or shoes or, you know, you get the idea. Or, you know, parents with their, is that your little boy? Oh boy, he's a happy looking little guy. Now he may be a little bit of a something else, you know. But children are wonderful. And they're a wonderful opportunity to compliment the children. You've gone on, I mean, you've already won the race, haven't you, with the parents. So, compliment. Number five, treat everyone the way you want to be treated. Jesus said that, didn't he? Do unto others as you would have them do unto you. Number six, do something nice for other people and try not to be seen doing it. Don't let the old horn come out and blare away. Look at me, folks. Do it. Don't let the left hand know what the right hand is doing. Do it in secrecy. Number seven, listen more than you talk. I know that's hard sometimes. I know that we have all of the answers. I realize that. But it's better to listen. We've been given two ears and one mouth. 
Probably for that reason. And number eight, never give up on people. Never give up, even though you're tempted to. Never give up on people. Why? Because miracles still happen. Keep praying. You'd be surprised. Listen, I've made this mistake. I've tried to help people reach out to them, minister to them, only to give up on them. And then down the road, maybe it took a few years, I found out, wow, they had success. They turned their life around. And then I kind of felt bad for giving up on them. Never give up on people. God hasn't given up on you, has he? Of course not. Well, it's time to pray. Would you bow your head and close your eyes? Thank you for watching the message today. We invite you to join us again every Sunday and Wednesday for more inspiring messages from God's Word.